All right. Uh, so tonight, again, I've, I've told y'all we're going to be talking about false gods. So when you think about false gods, what is there any that come to mind out of the scriptures? The golden calf, that's a false god. What else? Baal, my daughter. Do you know that's what we named her for? No, Baal, yes, that was mentioned. Any others? Anybody can think of? Well, good, I've got a list for you, so I thought that would be good. So let's look at some that were in this. And before we do that, let's just look at one particular. You brought up Baal. Can anybody think of one of the most famous places in the Scripture where Baal was considered and Yahweh? They were put to a test between who, the, who was going to show up and who wouldn't. Elijah, 1 Kings 18, right? He says, hey, gather a bunch of them, not just one on one, one on a bunch. And they came in. What were some of the ways those prophets of Baal, those priests of Baal worshipped? They went to offer what? A sacrifice? Did they pray? Yeah, they prayed. What else did they do? They cut themselves. They danced, too. Don't forget, they did a little dance. You know, they did the dance before they cut themselves. The cut themselves was last, right? So there's worship involved in that. And what happened? Nothing. Absolutely nothing, right? And then Elijah gets up. He talks to God. All of a sudden, we go. So some of the other gods mentioned in the Scripture, uh, first one that come to mind, I've got them alphabetized, because that's the best way is alphabetized, is Ashtaroth, also called Astarte, this goddess of the Canaanites was connected with fertility and maternity. Uh, she was sometimes called a consort or companion of Baal. King Solomon was one of those who fell into Ashtoreth worship, which led to his downfall because why he married a Canaanite woman, married a lot of different women, and brought all their gods in. Baal was the supreme god among the Canaanites. He was worshipped in many forms, but he was often worshipped as a sun god or a storm god. Interesting because how many of y'all in high school had to take Roman mythology or Greek mythology or some of that kind of, it was amazing, wasn't it? I mean, Kevin obviously remembers all of them, right? But it's interesting because all of these different gods and all these different cultures, the storm god, the sun god, they had several, several other things. Most of them were about, all about, really, are we going to get somebody fertile? You know, are we going to make our lands produce harvest? Our, you know, our families have kids. They were worshiping them to try to get this. Uh, but Baal was a fertility god who supposedly made the earth bear crops and women bear children. They had all sorts of stuff where they prostituted themselves, human sacrifice, all sorts of stuff for Baal. Chemosh, who is called the subduer, he was the national god of the Moabites and was also worshipped by the Ammonites. Rites involving this god were, to be, were cruel, human sacrifice. Guess what Solomon did? He erected a temple, an altar to Chemosh south of the Mount of Olives because he was, uh, again... Spreading it to make sure he covered all of his bases. Dagon, do you all remember the story about Dagon? He was the god of the Philistines. And when the Ark of the Covenant showed up, they kept that thing, and what happened? He kept falling down on his face in front of that, right? But he was a big god to the Philistines. He had the body of a fish and a human head and hands. Interesting, right? Let's merge them all together, get what, you know, build what we want. Uh, Egyptian gods, do you all remember uh, what happened in Egypt? There was all these different gods that they worshipped. Interesting, I thought it was very interesting. The ten plagues of uh, God against Egypt were humiliations of ten specific Egyptian gods. Every one of those that came was a, a, about a specific god and showed that there's only one true god. You brought this one up, the golden calf, right? Interesting, they're out there. 
He says, all of a sudden, it just jumped out to fire, right? I don't know what happened. You know, we threw some gold in it. A golden calf jumped out. And they were worshiping that. Marduk was the god of the Babylonians, associated again with fertility. Uh, all this stuff was going on by Assyrians and Persians. And then the last one I'll talk about was Milcom. This national god of the Ammonites was associated with divination, seeking knowledge of the future through occult means, and was strongly forbidden by God. Child sacrifice was often connected with this god. He was among the false gods, worshipped by who? Solomon at the end of his reign. Right? They also called him Moloch, Molech, different versions of that. All of these are false gods mentioned in the scripture. So let's stop today, come to fast forward, 2023. What's some false gods that exist today? Most people don't have an idol set up on their mantle or on their kitchen table where you come in and there's a big old statue or something. You're like, oh, this is my God that I worship. That's not typically how it is. Could be in some cultures. You know, you get away from America. But what's some false gods we worship today? Thanks. Well, you have to go to the one I was woven. Yeah. What you say? Yes, we worship a phone, right? What else do you worship? He said self, which is where I was going to go, but thank you. What? Entertainment. Entertainment, right? Social media. Mm -hmm. Anything else? Work. <laughs> work. That's a good one. I think a lot of people worship work. Relationships, false gods, we can have that set up. What about money? Hmm? Okay, I, sorry, we, we were right there together. Money, power, those two go hand in hand, right? What about, you know, I think Eric mentioned, what about self? Ultimately, at the end of all of those things we just named, who's in there? It's about us, right? I wasn't going to go there. I was going to try to just continue, right? But yes, we still do self-sacrifice, child sacrifice. Why? Because it's about me. It ain't about this other child. It's not about anything. It's about me getting what I want. And that's an issue. Uh, how do we express worship to these false guys that we just talked about? Give them our time. Do we give them our money? Mm -hmm. <laughs> A lot of it. Mm -hmm. What else do we give them? Energy. Energy. One thing we didn't mention, we didn't say this with false gods, but what about the false god of religion? Is there religion out here today that's a false god? Even the feel-good church. We could name some other ones, though, right? I mean, is the Mormons worship a false god? I mean, there's a lot of them out there, right? We have to be very careful who we associate with, knowing who they actually worship. So, if we look uh, in 2 Timothy 3, 2 through 4, this will give us a good list of characteristics to reference about worship. I'm not going to go there. We're not going to read that. I'm trying to make good use of my time tonight, and I've got a lot of ground to cover. But self is the most worshipped false god of the day, far outranking the Pope, Buddha, any other religion. So we've got to make sure that we understand we're all about having issues with worship. So why are we talking about false gods? When we're talking about parenting. Mm -hmm. So our children are going to model and see what we actually worship, right? Is it really about a false god? No, it's about worship. What does mankind do in every culture? They worship. If you go down into the jungle somewhere, you go across the plains to another continent, What the one thing that we have in common, everybody worships something. And that's really the problem. Sometimes we're not thinking about that with our children, but guess what? From their time they're small, they're, who are they worshiping? Themselves, right? A child is born into sin, and the scriptures say they're few days and full of trouble. Whew, man, y'all had me hanging on that. One. They're few days. Why are they few days and full of trouble? Because they're only worried about what? Mm 
themselves. Is that's how it should be at that age? Yeah, I mean, they're not. They're obviously not ready to hear about Christ at six weeks old. You can tell them, but they're you know there's not that going on. We have to make sure we understand they're at a point of worship, and if we don't interrupt that worship with themselves, we're going to have some issues later on. So here's what I want to do tonight. Let's see. Would you look up Exodus 20? Elijah, Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, Caleb, 1 Samuel 12, Philip, Isaiah 42. Hey, Nikki, would you look up Ezekiel 14? Anita, 1 Corinthians 10. And Tammy, I don't want to leave you out. 1 John, 1 John chapter 2. So Exodus 20, Deuteronomy, 1 Samuel. Hey, I, I tell you, y'all two ladies... Y'all look up the Psalms. I've got several scriptures in the Psalms, right? Psalm 4, Psalm 96, Psalm 115. So we'll go to those three, okay? We're going to look those up. Instead of me trying to read all of them, I thought it would be nice we'd have some different voices. Than I, sorry, Winston. I, I'll have a scripture for you later. I apologize. I didn't see right there. All right, so let's look at Exodus 20, verse 3. What's that, what's that found? That's what? Ten Commandments, ain't it, right? What does that have to do with worship? Everything, right? You shall have no other gods before me. Okay, let's go to Deuteronomy 6 5. Who's the only man that broke all ten commandments at one time? Hmm? Who's the man that broke all ten commandments at one Well, let's get on with the lesson. We'll come back to that question here in a minute. How's that? <laughs> Deuteronomy 6 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Okay, what does that have to do with worship? Everything. Everything, right? All right. Let's look over here at 1 Samuel 12. 21. Sorry about that. I should give you the verse. I apologize. Okay. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. Mm. So, anything that's not Yahweh, anything that's not God is what? Empty, empty right? It, it does nothing to sustain and fulfill you. Which one did I say? Isaiah 42, uh, verse 8. Carved images, right? So God's not going to do what? Share his glory with anybody. Does that include me and you? Yeah. yeah. Anybody, right? That means everybody, even Jerry Long, yeah. which is pretty much up there. Ezekiel 14.4. I couldn't remember the <laughs> That's why I have notes. If not, I'd forget who I am. Well, I knew Kevin would defer to you on that one anyway, so. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Therefore, speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, every one of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols. Mm -hmm. So what happens before they set the idol up? They set it up where first? In their heart before they ever get it in front of them, right? All right, 1 Corinthians 10, 14. I did. I was pointing behind you. Sorry. 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. What does it tell us to do from idols, from false gods? What does that mean? Run, Forrest, run, right? Don't dally. Don't stick around. Don't think I can handle it. No, get out of there. 
All right, Tammy, 1 John 2, 15 and 17. 2, 15 and 17. Skip 16, though. I don't know what's there, but we won't skip that. Mm. So, again, continue the theme, false gods worship, and then come back over to the Psalms. If we could do Psalm 4 2. So, false gods are worthless and a deception. And then 96 5. Mm. All the gods of the people. So again, if you go to every culture that's out there, what are we going to find? Idols, gods. In America, what we've done is we've really divided it up to where it's shades of Christ, right? It's close, but it's not there. So we have to be what? We have to be very aware. We have to be understand what the scriptures say, and we have to be discerning. Where does discernment and wisdom come from? The book. And also James chapter 1, it tells us if we lack it, what do we do? We ask God, and He does what? He gives it to us abundantly. So, continuing. The deepest cravings of the human heart shape what we look for in life. For satisfaction and contentment, for identity and belonging, for meaning and purpose, and for inner peace and security. Worship, I hate to break your bubble, it's not a religious activity. It's not something that happens just in there when we sing a song. We have been really, really foolish in how we've taught people to where we think worship has everything to do with music. Worship doesn't have anything to do with music. Worship is the attitude of your heart. Now, can it be expressed in music? Absolutely. Can it be expressed in everything that you do? Let me rephrase that. Should it be expressed in everything that we do? And if we're not careful, especially with our children, we're going to teach them that right in there, that's the only place they worship when we sing two hymns and the choir has a special. We worship God today. No. We need to be, un be careful to understand it's not a religious activity. It's the inner desire that we have for wonder, amazement, and all that every human being possesses. So we have to make sure we understand everything, the capacity of our children's heart to worship is meant to drive them to God. That's the issue. Worship is going to take them to one or two places. It's going to take them towards idols or it's going to take them towards gods. We must understand this truth above all others. Your kids were not made for a good education. That's not what they were made for. Is it a good thing to have? Yeah. What about playing sports? Is that a good thing for them? Is that what they were made for? No. What about to get a great job, have a great career? No. Again, that's not what they were made for. What were they made for? They were made by God for His good pleasure. They were put into your hands for a short season of time. We have to be careful to understand, you know what, we're a steward of these children that God places for a short season of time. And we have to make sure our children understand they were made to find life, Hope, identity, and meaning in God and God alone. Anything that we show them outside of that, if they find life, hope, identity, and meaning in sports, then what's going to happen? It's going to be an idol. It's going to be a false god. We have to make sure they understand the capacity of our children to worship is the most important biblical insight for parents. All the external we see and hear is really a glimpse of their heart. If you hear a bad attitude, where does it come from? comes from the dad most of the time, or the mom, right? It comes from our son. But it's their heart. It's the heart that we see. We can't get distracted by the external and forget about the internal. And since our children are worshipers, we must be committed to being an instrument 
of seeing. Interesting that he puts it that way in the book. Sin does what to us? It blinds us. It deceives us. And guess what? It don't just do our children. Who else does it do? It does every one of us. We need to make sure we understand that. We must be the lens that allows them to see and understand the destructive nature of sin and its consequences. How often have we seen somebody do something and not recognize that it could lead to death? Especially younger people, children. They do something and they don't think, hey, there's a consequence for this that could be awful. They don't see and understand that. Who's there and supposed to show them that? We are as the parents. And since our children are worshipers, a vital skill we've got to learn, uh, teach them, how to lead them to confession. When their heart is stared and they know they've done wrong, what should be the next step? What's a great verse that we should have and teach them about when we need to confess our sins? If we confess our sins, He, God, He's faithful to do what? Forgive, Forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? Let's not forget that. We need to make sure that we're pointing our children to confess their sins to God. Because if they confess them to us, that's all right. But does that do anything? None of y'all is the Pope, I don't think. That's what happens in that church, right? We, we are not that intermediary. Christ is. We need to make sure they're teaching them and leading them to where they confess their sins. And to say that our children are worshipers requires that we admit we have no power to free them from their biggest problem, their own inclination to idolatry. That's what their biggest problem is. I know we can say all sorts of other things, but that's the biggest issue. We can lead, we can pray, we can teach, we can exhort, we can protect. We can be examples, but ultimately, only God can change their hearts. We cannot change their hearts. And this should lead us to do what? Humble ourselves and pray for them. One of the most powerful things you can do is get on your knees and pray for your children. Because you can't save them. Only God can. And since our children are worshipers, our only hope for them is what? The grace of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to faithfully hold God's high standard before them. We don't want to drop the standard down just to make sure that they're protected. No, but we need to make sure we hold that standard high and then we lovingly confront and help them see and know that God saves. We are more like our children than unlike them. And this fact should cause us to have compassion when our nerves are frayed and continue to be faithful. So false gods are all because of worship. Then the next thing is control. I, I do like in the book how he has linked some of these together because I've had issues. I'm like, false gods and control? What does it have to, where does those go together? When y'all think of control, what do y'all think of? Nothing? Okay, that's good. Do you ever, does anybody here try to control things? How about everything that you have? Is, do you try to control it? Money, relationships, God. Everything. We're trying to control them to a certain degree. How does that work out for you often? Okay. <laughs> I, was gonna, I was looking for not too good, but you know, that, that's close enough. So <clears throat> the goal of parenting is not to control their behavior, but rather their heart and life change. So we need to understand that when we're looking at this, we need to make sure that we cannot control our kids. We talked about it the other week, how we can control them by a couple of means. We can control them by manipulating them. If you'll do this, I'll give you this. Is that heart change? Is that lifetime, uh, lifelong life change? No. What about guilt? Oh, I'm so bad. I'm so worried about you. I remember my mom, and she would guilt me 
And I was like, just beat me. I'd much rather you just go ahead and get it over with. Because I knew when dad come home, I was going to get it anyway. Let's just get this guilt out of the way. But she'd make me feel horrible about things because she loved me so much. I hated the guilt thing. What, did, did it make me feel bad for a season and stop? Yeah. But then the next day, guess what it was? The same person who needed some whomping, right? Daddy took care of it to begin with. And what was the other one? We had guilt. What about threatening or intimidation? That doesn't work a long time either, right? So we need to make sure we're not using that. We're looking for heart and life change. So our parenting of our children should be shaped by what God says every human being needs, not what the culture says, not what your dreams are for them, not based on your emotions at the time. I think that's one of the biggest issues I can see going back and looking at parenting. A lot of my parenting was done based on my emotions at the time. I was hungry or hangry, whichever one you go. I was tired and I said and did things I shouldn't have said and did. I operated on my emotions instead of operating on truth. And we got to be very careful doing that. Some things our children need. I'm going to give you all these as we go through. Our children need guidance. Two scriptures for you. Proverbs 11:14 and Psalm 31:3. <clears throat> what does it mean to guide our children? I'm not taking any of your questions though, Brian, I don't think. I'm trying to make sure. I'm trying to ask some more, make him make him think. When you what is okay. Does everybody use a GPS on this? What does it do? It guides you. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate that. That's very good, right? Are we supposed to be that GPS for our children, guiding them, right? Yes. Not mowing the path down to where they don't know anything getting there, but we're supposed to guide them. What about protection? Isaiah 31.5 and Psalm 91.1. Are we supposed to be protecting our children? Thank you. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I mean, start right off the bat. I'm going to run through the rest of these, and I'm not going to ask any questions in the middle of them. Oh, our children need guidance, protection, instruction, wisdom, authority, rules, structure, preparation, understanding, confrontation, discipline, warning, love, forgiveness, security. If a parent would provide all of that, would that be enough? That's not enough? What is, what's missing off this list? God. Right? All these we can have scriptures and we can have this set up, but you know what our children, the greatest need is? God's mercy and grace. And who demonstrates that? We have that opportunity to. Are we going to be that vessel of mercy and grace or are we going to be a vessel of judgment? We're going to be a vessel of discipline at the point of any cost of relationship. We have to be careful. Our children need all this, but the greatest need they have in their life is God's mercy and grace. So I want us to get to Psalm 51 tonight. That's what we're going to try to go through. <clears throat> I wanted to be there about 10 minutes ago, but I'm a little behind like normal. Psalm 51. <clears throat> I'm going to read this real quick like, and we're going to go through it. Oh, and this is a prayer of repentance. Uh, I like reading the little things in the top. You know, a Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Interesting. He wrote this after that experience. Psalm 51 says this. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, 
and the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. I think I'm going to stop there, and then we'll come through. Verse uh, to begin with, our children need to see their own sin, so they'll cry out for God's mercy. <clears throat> Excuse me. David here, again, he's suffered one of the greatest uh, issues that he's had in his whole life. And he goes, does he, who does he go to first? Does he go to Bathsheba? Does he go to Uriah? Of course, you can't go to him, right? Who does he go to? He goes to God, right? And our children need to see their own sin, so they won't come to that person first, but they'll go to who first? God. Why? Because who have they sinned against first? Sometimes we want to make sure that they apologize to their brother, to the sister, to their mom, to their dad, to their Uncle Bob, whoever it is. But the first person they need to cry out for mercy on is they recognize they've sinned against a holy and a righteous God. Oftentimes, even ourselves, that's not who we're looking at for uh, apologies for or forgiveness for. We're looking at it here, and we need to recognize our sin has separated us not just from our brothers and sisters, but our sin has separated us from God. And David here does what? He goes right to God and asks for mercy. He realizes he can't do anything, and he needs God's mercy. Verses 1 through here, 1 through 3, <clears throat> here uh, there's three different words David uses for sin. He uses sin, iniquity, and transgression. Interesting how he pitch, pictures those together. Sin means that your children and you, <clears throat> with all of our natural gifts, abilities, and efforts, will always fall short of the mark. What does that mean? Are you ever going to be good enough? Sin has done what? It separated us and we'll never, ever be good enough. Ch our children need to recognize that. We need to recognize that. No matter of cleaning up, no matter of fresh haircuts, no matter of anything that we got can make us right before God. No matter of leading old ladies across the street, getting our Sunday school record, making sure none of that is going to make us right before God. We are always going to miss the mark. Now, if we ever get to ourselves to the point where we think we're righteous enough, what have we done? We've went above Jesus on the cross. That's, why, that's what we need. We couldn't do that. He had to do that for us. No, we cannot hit it. Now, you know, the mark iniquity, though, I'm going to skip on because I'm getting late. Iniquity is moral uncleanness, and we're born this way. <clears throat> we're susceptible to temptation and an attraction to what's wrong. Y'all have any issues with that? We're attracted to what's wrong. Man, I see it all around us today. Transgression, though, is when we act out on it. We see a handicap sign. We don't feel like walking, so what do we do? We park in it anyway, right? We know what's right, and we willfully choose what's wrong. We rebel against God in society. And David in here is saying, you know what he's done? All three of those. He recognizes he was born in sin, he has iniquity, and he transgressed. He did the exact opposite thing of what God told him to do. Our children need to understand that the problem is not with the parents, but the problem is with God. Every sin is first against God, and is from a desire to remove God from his throne and take our position on it. We often don't think of sin like that. Sin really is what, what did the devil say? I will ascend to the throne. I will be like God. That's what sin is in our lives. We're saying, hey God, get up and let me sit here because I know best. And we have to understand that and recognize what's that, what that's doing to us. Sin is about refusing to live for the glory of another. I'll say that one more time. Sin is all about refusing to live for the glory of another. You're living for the glory of you. Our children need to understand that sin is a nature problem that produces behavior problems. We need that as well. Oftentimes we focus on the behavior and not the nature. Sin is a condition. It's not the behavior, but sin. Don't treat the symptoms, but confess the need for mercy. 
due to sin. Almost done. Our children need to understand that since sin is a heart problem, then the only solution is a new heart. <clears throat> Verse number 10 here says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. We cannot clean it on our own. We need God to do that through Christ. Only Jesus can provide and sustain a new heart. And the last thing it says here in verse number 14, it says, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Our children need to be taught to run to the only place of hope, God's forgiving grace in Christ. When we seek forgiveness, we acknowledge that we are not in charge. This life does not belong to me, and I have how much ability? Zero to get back into God's favor. So as we're looking at our children, as we're looking at other people, as we're looking in the mirror, we need to understand we need God's grace. We need to give up control, take our hands and do this and say, God, whatever you put in here, whatever you do, I'm going to do it for you. I can't, everything I want to grab onto and hold onto is not going to work. False gods and control. Let's stop, let's pray, and we'll get into small group time. Father, we want to thank you, God, that you've revealed to us uh, what false gods are. God, and I pray, Lord, as we uh, consider our cultures, we look at our life. And I pray that we do look at our life on a regular basis. We review. We ask you, Lord, to look at our heart. We ask you to reveal in our heart, Lord, those areas that we're worshiping other things. God, that we've put you aside. We're worshiping ourselves. We're worshiping, uh, God, where we want to be in a couple of years. Whatever it is, God, we're really not putting you first and following what you would have, God. But we're trying to do things on our own, outside of your word, outside of your will. And so I pray, God, you would reveal those false gods to us. And I pray, Lord, as we raise our children, as we raise that next generation, God, we would help them understand that that uh, attitude of worship is something they're always going to have, and it needs to be directed in the right path. And God, that they would build that in their hearts and in their lives where they would recognize when they're worshiping the wrong way, the wrong thing, and they would repent and they would turn back towards you. God, help us to relinquish control as well. God, we try so hard to make everything fit and look a certain way and do something for other people's good pleasure instead of your good pleasure, God. So help us, Lord, not to concentrate on that, Lord, but to realize, is our heart pleasing you? Is our life pleasing you? And if it does, we shouldn't worry about what others have, God. If they, if they truly see that, they're going to see that in our lives as well. So help us as we uh, stop right now and we take a little bit of time and we talk through what we've learned, we've talked through some of the scripture. I just pray, God, that you would help us, Lord, to apply your word to our lives so that when these... Uh, attitudes come up, when these actions come up, uh, when these behaviors come up the rest of this week, God, we would see what they are and we would recognize, not deal with our emotions, not deal with it emotionally, but deal with it uh, according to what your word says. And all these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. <coughs>